everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, everybody. How are we feeling? You know, it's always interesting having service, church service, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, because everybody is a little bit more uh, comatose. The tryptophan is still wearing off uh, from the massive amounts of turkey and rolls that were digested. Um, But uh, we welcome you here this morning. I am uh, Pastor John Owens, and uh, really it's a joy and an honor to serve as the lead pastor here at City of Lights, and we're just excited about what God is doing with this community. We are about eight months old since we launched, and uh, we're, we're, it's a good-looking eight-month-old right here, yeah? Um, and uh, it just, just seeing so many things was reflecting, as we often do around Thanksgiving time, and reflecting on just, uh, you know, how, you know, as you do at Thanksgiving, we had our... We went down to Lexington, Kentucky, where my wife is from, and we've got all of our kids and, and uh, all of her sister's kids and her brother's kids. Her sister has five. Her brother has two children. And one of the things that we do every year or that her mom and, and dad have done every year is they always get everybody pajamas, including the, the, in, the, the husbands that have married into this family. Uh, we get pajamas as well, and, and we love looking at the pictures, the progression, and seeing how everyone has grown and all the kids have grown and how they went from not even walking to walking to running to getting into everything. And so uh, in that, just as we've, I've been reflecting this week about the church, it's just been so neat to see what God's done over the last eight months. And even beyond that, when we were just meeting in our home, and uh, I'm excited for those of you who are here for maybe the first or second time. Um, for you to add to our story and to be a part, whether this is a, a long-term family for you or just a weekend that you get to come and be a part of, of our community this week, and we're so glad to have you here. Um, I'm excited you guys got the handout on your chair of our Christmas series, Come to Worship. Uh, it's going to be a great series. Those of you who don't know, I spent 15 years as a uh, worship arts pastor, and so worship is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And particularly as we come into the Christmas season, uh, and, and so much of it we can get over, we can get distracted by so many different things that happen during the Christmas time, but I'm so excited to really teach on, not only teach on worship, but show how we practically can come before, the, before God in worship. And so I want to encourage you not only to come yourself, but to give this to somebody, particularly somebody, maybe uh, if there's creasters out there that you know, maybe you're a creaster and you just got snookered into coming this weekend. Uh, you got a head start. I want to invite you to come and, and invite your friends to come. It's going to be a great time. So this, you know, week, you know, we know it's Thanksgiving, but I also kind of like to think of it as Happy Thanks Eating Day because I, I don't know if there is any other holiday that is so directly intertwined with consumption of food, right? Like at some point, hopefully, Sometime during the Thursday, you will get around to, uh, you know, saying what you're thankful for, right? Maybe, perhaps. Uh, But one thing we know is going down is we are going to eat and we want to know what's the menu. 
right? Who's bringing what? That is a big deal. We care about it. And, and particularly, you can't just bring any old thing. We're actually so committed to this eating holiday. We're so committed. It's, you can't just have any combination. There are tried and true recipes that we don't mess with, right? It's funny how it varies even ethnically, the things that need to be on the table versus the things that don't need to be on the table and the various recipes. One of the things, one of the people that learned that you don't mess with this was Food Network this week. Now, I know some of you had to see the Facebook post of the heretical macaroni and cheese recipe the Food Network was peddling. But for those of you who didn't, I'm going to inform you because I just got to protect you for these things for future Thanksgivings to come. Macaroni and cheese is something you just don't have to mess with. You know, you can vary it up. You, anything, you can add bacon to anything as, as a legit edit, right? If you add bacon, that's okay. You can't, that's fine if you want to add that to, to the menu. Maybe even some seasoned breadcrumbs before you put it in bacon. But by and large, macaroni and cheese is not something you have to tamper with. See, I get more amens on mac and cheese than I do talking about some of these other things. That's all right. I'll take it as they come. Anyway, this mac and cheese, they're making it. They start off right, right? They start off right. Get a nice little roux going. Added some Gruyere just to change it up, a little nuttiness in the Gruyere. Added some cheddar. See, I get the organ coming. See, I, this is how we are about food. And I'm thinking, as I'm looking at this, I'm like, ooh, they know what's going down. They might even season a little bit. They threw me off because they put a little bit of mustard in. I was like, I don't know about the Dijon. You're tampering. But I thought, you know what? I'm open. I can be expanded. I can grow in my culinary palate, right? But then they messed up. I saw a bowl of squash. And Brussels sprouts. And, and I just knew they weren't going to mess with us. You know, I knew that they... Now, I've seen Brussels sprouts done in different ways for Thanksgiving. You know, Brussels sprouts, sometimes you want to get a little fancy. I just say this. There are certain dishes that you will only find at a Thanksgiving that tends to be on the more Caucasian side of things. <laughs> like... Uh, oven-roasted Brussels sprouts with a balsamic glaze and pomegranates are going to be more likely found in certain camps than others. So I thought, maybe they're going to do something with the Brussels sprouts. They put the Brussels sprouts in the mac and cheese, y'all. What were they doing? They killed the mac and cheese. The mac and cheese died that day. And one of the chefs on the show, they panned over to him, and he just kind of looked like, what are y'all doing? He knew better. But they mess with it. And let me tell you, when this went on the internet, it blew up. People, thousands of comments, people talking about this is the dish you make if you hate your family and don't want them to return next year. <laughs> it, I mean, they got destroyed. But then the great thing was, what was amazing, kind of the undercurrent, the unexpected thing, because you thought the right recipe was going to come from Food Network. Everybody started posting their favorite recipes. And you're like, ooh, I haven't tried that before. I'm going to have to do that. But there were certain things that, that you don't mess with this. Why? Because we have attached food and a certain kind of food because of the nostalgia. Maybe it's the way grandmother made it. Maybe it's the way great-grandmother made it. We have this connection with consumption and fellowship that is intertwined, that it almost becomes more about eating and consuming than it is about being thankful. Now, I know on the surface, we can immediately go, okay, we just, we need to preach a message. Pastor's going to preach a message on how we're not supposed to be consumed with cons consumption and, and how that's bad. But, but, but 
I actually want to change it up because the reason that we respond that way, the reason that we can become so infatuated with what we're going to eat, what we're going to consume, how we're going to consume it, is actually part of the way we were designed. We were actually created as perpetual consumers. We were actually created by God so that in order to be fully alive in the way he had designed us, we had to be in constant connection and fellowship of him. That we would be sustained by fellowship, by his presence. That we not only would be realized in fellowship, but in the fulfillment of our calling, that would only be accomplished if we were knowing him. I'll say it this way. We were designed to know and be known. I mean, isn't that what consumption is, really? Is to know something. Is, is to get our hands on it, to, to put our mouths on it, to digest it. When, when we look at the concept of knowing in Scripture, it's not just some mental ascent. It's not just some frivolous understanding. It's not just know.com or being able to Google something really quick and just have that information. It's actually a more close and intimate and connected thing. We see this when we look at Genesis. We often go to Genesis and people say, oh, we're going to Genesis again. Yes, because as Mary Poppins told us, let, or no, not Mary Poppins, let me get this right. As Maria told us, let's start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. That sound of music, educate yourself. Um, but we start at the beginning because if we want to know what things are supposed to be like, let's maybe look at the original plan. And we see that even Adam's first act of coming alive was as the scripture says that God breathed into his nostrils his breath. And then man became fully alive. There was a knowing. There was, a, you know, it's almost like God was doing CPR on this, this person that he had formed. And now, through the knowing of God, he was made alive. We look even at the fall of man and woman, and it didn't come just by a transfer of information. It actually came by them taking fruit and biting it ingesting it, this revelation of, of the knowledge of good and evil. It didn't come just by the serpent saying it. It actually involved them partaking. When we also look, it's not just consumption, it's also consummation. When the scripture refers to uh, Adam and Eve procreating, it says that Adam knew Eve. That it was, that's, that's a whole other level of knowing, Right? That's why when you like are in maybe a surface, le a surface level, introductory level uh, interaction, and you say, oh, yeah, we're just getting to know each other. Are you getting to know each other? Like, we got to put some boundaries. But why? Because a knowing in, the, in a biblical and a legitimate depth sense is almost, it's like being one. It's like being joined. And so... God wired us to be joined to him, to be sustained in closeness with him. Now, when we understand that, it's going to help us because Jesus, around the time of Passover, in the scripture that we're going to read here in, in John 6, 
he says some stuff that sounds really crazy if you don't understand what he means by eating and consuming. He makes some statements that, honestly, on, on base level, if you're just kind of reading out of context, you're like, um, I, man, I was totally with you when you were like feeding us and walking on water, but ah, holla at your boy. <laughs> he says in John 6, we're going to turn there right now, as a matter of fact, John 6, the book of John, not just my favorite reference, but John Chapter 6, we're in the New Testament, and beginning, beginning in verse 41, it says, So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. I am the bread that came down from heaven. And the Jews said, wait, I thought his name was Jesus. Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? So how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them. Get my name out your mouth. No, he didn't say that. He said, y'all aren't very good at whispering. No, he said, do not grumble amongst yourself. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. He's referring to when Moses was leading the children of God out of captivity, out of slavery, that when they were hungry and they needed to be sustained, God sent a bread from heaven. It was called manna. I think it might have been also like jiffy, uh, cornbread. Um, but he sends bread from heaven to sustain them. But he says to them, he says, this bread that comes down from heaven, uh, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one may eat of it and not, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for life of the world is my flesh. Now, then he just kind of gets real blunt with it. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. So when you hear that, initially, I don't know about you guys, but that just seems like a real weird statement. But when you understand, he was not calling them to cannibalism, right? This wasn't like some weird, twisted, The Walking Dead episode. He was calling them, and it was an invitation to fellowship and fulfillment in him. It was an invitation for them to know true life, for them to know and taste and see that God had come, that God was good, that, that the Messiah had come. 
that the answer to their prayers was right in front of them. See, what you need to understand is this was during the time of Passover. And Passover, not unlike Thanksgiving, one of the ways that they would remember what God had done in delivering the people out of Egypt is they would have a meal, a Seder meal, where everything on the plate was a reminder of the faithfulness of God, of how he had delivered them out of captivity. But yet, there was still a longing for the Messiah to come. And what he's saying is, you've all gathered like you do every year to eat this meal to remind you of what you were delivered out of, of of that time back in history where you as a people were brought out of the captivity and literal slavery. But I'm here to let you know that the Messiah has come, that not the bread that will get you over for a little while, but the eternal bread of life is here that you can partake of it. And not only am I here, but you actually won't experience life unless you eat of my flesh, unless you know me, unless you come into the relationship that you were meant to experience from the very beginning. He kind of tricked him a little bit. Pastor, how did they trick him? How did he trick him? Well, the day before was when the famous Jesus fed the 5,000 miracle went down. It's around Passover time. People are there. Folks have been hearing about all the miracles, and they're gathering, and Jesus has this crowd. It says in the beginning of John 6, as a matter of fact, we can turn to there, beginning in verse 3. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. And lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And so he recognizes that there was a physical, practical need. And of course, he does it. He takes five loaves and two fishes. I want to talk about that more in a minute. But he multiplies it. And there was so much multiplied through this miracle of five loaves and two fishes that it says that every person there had their fill. It wasn't just like you get a couple scoops. It's like most people, many people in America were on Thursday where you're like sitting and you're trying to like figure out how to maneuver on the couch while you're watching the game and still kind of look cute. You're like, why? Because you had your fill. Like, you were like, man, should I get that extra scoop? Yes, I'll get two. (laughs) There was no like, oh, there's not enough. I'll just get a little, you know, portion control. I don't know. Some of y'all are probably like way stronger than me. Your portion control game was on fleek on Thursday. Mine was not. Um, But it said they had their fill and there was some left over. So much left over that they filled up 12 baskets full. Like, exceedingly abundantly more than what they expected. So people are full. After this, Jesus is kind of like, man, this is a full day's work. I'm going to, let me pull back. I need to go get some time, some alone time. So Jesus, he goes to get some quiet time. The disciples, they decide to follow him. They go off on a boat. They're heading towards Capernaum. (laughs) It's just kind of a crazy scene. This whole day, this 24-hour period, I just think if you were a disciple, like if you didn't believe before, you were like bought in at the end of this. 
So Jesus just fed 5,000 people, and we're out on a boat. Oh, by the way, who's walking on the water? Oh, that's Jesus. Yeah, we'll follow him. We'll keep following him. So he meets them out in the boat. It says as soon as he was in the boat, they were immediately on the shore. I was like, Jesus, he, he's like, I got things to do. My, my, one of my mentors used to always say, people who drive slow, they don't know what their destiny is. You know, they don't really understand their true destiny. They don't know where they're going. Jesus knew where he was going. He was like, we don't got time for this. Let's get to the shore. All right. So the next day, all the people that ate the day before, they came looking for a free meal again. So they come to the place where he had multiplied the bread before. Not only did they come, but there was folks from another spot that came and brought their boats because they heard, hey, Jesus is giving folks free food. They get there and they realize that Jesus and his disciples weren't there, and they get word that he's over in Capernaum. So they all get in boats, and they go over to Capernaum to meet Jesus. And when they get there, Jesus calls them out. He's like, you're not really here because of the miracles. You're here because you ate yesterday. And you know what? That's okay. There were so many times where God, people were drawn to Jesus, not because of some deep spiritual thing, but he spoke to them. He drew them by a very practical need. Sometimes we can get over-spiritual when it comes to serving the needs of folks and think, like, before I can show charity and demonstrate generosity and justice, that i got to lead you to the five points of this and, and all that before I can just hand you a loaf of bread or give you a coat or get help, help meet the practical need. Jesus was not afraid to meet practical needs, and he knew that it's the loving kindness that brings people to repentance. And so he, he fed them, but he didn't leave it as that. Because the flip side is sometimes we get so busy hanging out backpacks that we never actually bring people to the cross. But Jesus said, you actually came here because you're looking for, for food. You're looking for a meal. But I let you know today that I, and the bread of life. That you, you, you've spent your life going from momentary thing to momentary thing. One more thing to consume, hoping that it's going to fill you. And then the next morning you wake up and you're hungry again. The next morning you wake up and you're thirsty again. How many relationships do you have to consume and be left empty till you will stop continuing that cycle and partake of me? Knowing that when you partake of me, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. It's not that being hungry and thirsty is wrong. It's the way in which we fulfill those things. What are we consuming? God has made himself known. He has revealed himself. His, his desire from the beginning was that we would know him, that we would consume him, that we would be filled with his presence. We talk about the idea of fulfillment. We will never be full unless we are filled with who he is. That we have this continual, perpetual hunger that if we continue to satisfy it, continue to fill it with just buying more stuff, having more relationships, sleeping with more people, consuming more alcohol, pursuing more of a career, and letting those things be the thing that we pursue to satisfy us, we will always be left wanting more. Nothing will satisfy. And there will be a trail of empty containers, whatever that would be, whether it's men, women, jobs. I talked to somebody on the phone, a young man this past week, and he said, you know, my 
image of success. You know, my, my family really just, they wanted me to be successful. And, and I had this picture that if, you know, if I drove the nice car and I had the big house and I, you know, had all the girls and had, you know, was making, you know, millions of dollars that, that I would be accomplished, that I would be fulfilled. And he goes, I, I've had that and I've experienced that and I'm miserable. And, and I just can't help but waking up feeling like I'm supposed to be doing something more, that there's more than what I'm doing. It's because none of that, as Jesus tells us, none of that, apart from him, none of it will fulfill us. He wasn't calling us to do some weird thing. He was calling us to partake, to taste, to know him. But yet, we were designed to know and be known. Not just to know God, but to be known by him. That that it wasn't just, he didn't create us just so that we could follow him around and go, you're amazing, you're awesome, you know? We're not just called to be spiritual groupies, that we just go around like, you know, the, so many were just following the bread trail, following the fish trail. Oh, where's Jesus giving fish and bread today? Let's go there. I love that when he fed the 5,000, he asked Philip this question, and he was baiting Philip because he was giving him insight into how he works. He says, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Now, I love that in verse 6 it says this. He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. God already knew what was about to go down. But he was trying to get his disciples to think a moment. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to even get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy who has five barley lo loaves and two fish. But what are they for so many? God's plan wasn't just for us to be some spiritual groupies. He desired for us from the very beginning to be a part of what he was doing. Not to watch, not to just spectate, but to be involved in it. God's looking at Philip and he's looking at his disciples and he's thinking, <laughs> I bet they think I'm just going to like wave my hand and that it's just about me. I actually came here because I wanted you guys to be a part of this. So what does he do? And, 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 and in that, we hear some of the things that we often say. When we look at the problems and the challenges, forget the city. Like we can, we can look on the news and we, we are very familiar or we can become overly familiar with all of the drama nationwide, whether it's what craziness is happening in North Korea or what craziness is happening in the Ball family. Like there's craziness all around us and we can get overwhelmed with that, let alone the craziest is just living in our house. How can we, if we had all of this, it wouldn't be enough to be able to solve this problem. If we had all these resources, think of all of the programs and, and all, of the, all of the needs in the state of Indiana, let alone the city of Indianapolis, let alone just within a five-mile radius of where we are now. And we would look and think, gosh, we could have all this money and never meet all those needs. We're just this. He said, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves with two fish. But what are they for so many? We've got a hundred some odd people in this room, in this building. 
But what are we for the 2.4 million people in the metro Indianapolis area? What could we possibly do? Jesus said, have the people sit down. <laughs> I love this. Jesus like, all right, watch me work. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted, and when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. God doesn't want us to just consume him. He wants us to be consumed by him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be in deep fellowship and communion with him, with all that he is, with his goodness, with his mercy, with his kindness, with his love, with his forgiveness, to be intimately acquainted with these things of who he is. But the goal of consummation is multiplication. The goal of Adam knowing Eve was that they would be fruitful and multiply. It seems weird that you think of Adam and Eve when we talk about the context of marriage, of two becoming one. Two becoming one. It almost seems like this subtraction, like we're two separate people, now we become one, so we're less than two. God would often say, Father, I pray that they would become one. As, uh, he said, I pray that you would be one as I and the Father are one. But it is in that oneness, in that knowing, that subtraction, that multiplication takes place. That it was when the boy gave his lunch, when there was a surrender of all that he had, that God took what he had and multiplied it to be more than what was enough. He doesn't want us just to be, just to consume him, but to be consumed by him. To offer ourselves, as Romans 12, 1 says, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice. That we would place ourselves on the Thanksgiving table. That we should say, God, have all of me. Because I know that in your hands I am more than I would ever be individually. That I would be consumed with your heart for compassion. That I would be consumed with your heart for generosity. That I would be consumed with your heart of mercy. That when I see that family member who I only see once a year and can only stand once a year, <laughs> that I can be more consumed with your mercy and your kindness and forgiveness than the bitterness I've carried for the last 25 years. You're going to be consumed. The, the, as I said, call it the consumption conundrum is that 
you will consume something and you will be consumed by something. If any of you spent any time in a shopping facility on Friday, you got consumed. <laughs> right? You might have literally been consumed by the fights that went down, just sucked in. There's a part of me, because I have this like weird thing, I like to people watch and just see folks do crazy stuff. Like I'm tempted to go to Black Friday just to just to videotape, you know, do it for the vine. You know, vine's gone, do it for the gram. You know, just to see some crazy stuff. You know, you don't even have to worry about it. Just watch it on YouTube later. Somebody's going to post people getting consumed by having to have this thing. Why would you punch somebody for a TV? Because something is jacked up on the inside that has told you, I have to have this. Or my kid has to have this or they will hate me. There's a hunger the thirst is real. People, we get consumed. Our time gets consumed. Our money gets consumed. It's going to be January 1st in a blink of an eye. We're all going to say, man, how did that just, year flew by. What happened? It got consumed. So if we're going to be consumed, why not be consumed by the things of God? By the one who brings multiplication through subtraction. That the less I become infatuated and controlled by myself and surrender myself to God, the more he's able to have. The more impact that's able to take place. The more effectiveness. I mean, that's really what we want. We want to make a positive impact. People that don't know God have this sense in them. I want to make a difference. I want to, I want to have an impact. I want it to have mattered that I existed on this planet. Jesus is reminding us and he's telling them, yes, I met this practical need, but I want to actually meet a need that is eternal in your soul so that you would never hunger or thirst, that you would have not only every need supplied, but that you would now be multiplied to meet the needs of others. I want to ask you a question, two questions today. What you eating? What are you consuming? What are you becoming full with? You know, the, the old adage is, you are what you eat. And not everything that you consume is actually good for you. We know this. God bless Velveeta. <laughs> you know. It took me a little bit until I realized it wasn't real cheese, right? Not everything that we eat is whole food. Some of it is just empty calories. It fills us for momentarily, but it gives us no energy. It gives us no life. It does not benefit us in accomplishing our mission. What are you consuming? This holiday season, you know, how are we using our time? How are we consuming, spending our time, whether it be in relationships, in, in filling ourselves with stuff? Are we prioritizing God in our daily diet? We're going to talk about engaging in worship and experiencing him in that way, how we can engage him and, and abide in him over the course of our Christmas series. And when we get to January, we're actually going to talk about developing the disciplines of spending time in the word, fasting and prayer and Christian God, Christ-centered fellowship, building those foundations in our lives. But I challenge us now, are we spending time to intentionally take him in? It's not just about checking a box off. Just like 
Thanksgiving or the Passover, it's a reminder of his faithfulness, of what he's done, what he's doing. It's an invitation to fellowship, to communion, and fulfillment. Not just to be connected to him, but to be who we are called to be. And then the second thing I want to ask you is not just what are we eating, but what is eating at us? We are being consumed. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe this is just the hardest year that you've had. This is, you've had more loss this last year than you've had in the rest of your life, and you just, the idea of losing anything else is just overwhelming. And so you're just guarding. You're guarding everything and shutting everything out. Nothing goes out, nothing comes in. So the idea of surrendering to God, to, to giving your five loaves and two fishes or whatever he's calling you to, whether God's calling you to walk in a greater level of surrender in your finances, you're like, I can't give anything else away. All I've got is this. What am I supposed to do with this? I don't have any more time to give. I've already given enough time. I've served enough. I served at that church and they burned me. I invested in this relationship and they left me. I don't have anything else to give. And what I have, I'm just going to hoard it myself. And yet, even in that, selfishness consumes us. Offense consumes us. Poverty consumes us. Anger consumes us. God is inviting us this morning to be consumed by him. Knowing that it is in that surrender that he will multiply the impact, the fruitfulness, the joy, the peace, that as we surrender to him, as we believe him and receive all that he has, we are able to consume, to know God, not just know him, not just know about him. There's people that know about him but don't know him. He wants you to know him this morning. I want to have the worship team come up at this time. This morning, we're going to take communion as a family. And as we take communion and we partake and we eat the bread and we drink the water, this was a sacrament that Jesus gave us so that whenever he said, as often as you do this, do so in remembrance of me, not just a Passover meal that you take to be reminded of that time way back when, but as a reminder of not just what I've done before, but what I'm doing now in you and what I will do for all eternity. That through his body and through his blood, relationship has been restored. That a people who were separated from God because of our sin and our iniquity have now been given the bridge to be made one once again. That in him, the impact would be multiplied. That in him, we would not only be aware of who he is, but fully alive in our calling with him, creating and co-creating and being a part of bringing heaven to earth. I want to invite you this morning, as Jesus invited those around him then, to partake of the bread, to partake of the juice, in remembrance of him. If you are here this morning 
And maybe this is a very unfamiliar practice for you. Maybe you've heard about communion, but you don't feel comfortable about it. I don't want you to take it just out of compulsion or just feeling some weird sense of religiosity. But I do want to invite you this morning. And I want to tell you that just as Jesus told them then, that he has come that you would never hunger again, that you would never thirst. That if you are here and you know the ache and the hunger pains that you walk with every morning that are never satisfied, they've never been satisfied. The reason that that is is because you were designed to be filled by his spirit, by his love. And his word says that those that would confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is the son of God, that he died and was rose, risen again, made to come alive, for resurrected, destroying the power of sin and death, that to any who would receive and believe that they would have eternal life. I want to invite you, if you are desiring this kind of eternal life, to participate with us, to receive his body, to receive his blood as an act of surrender to him. Let's go ahead and pass out the elements, ushers. As they do that, I'm going to pray. We're going to worship together. I want you to just hold the elements in your hand for a moment as the worship team plays, and then we're going to take them together. Father, I thank you that you have made yourself available to us. Lord, that you have revealed and made yourself known. Lord, that as wild as a call to eat and drink of your flesh and blood seemed at the time, Lord, that it wasn't some crazy thing. It was actually the most amazing invitation to those who had been displaced from communion with you to come back into fellowship with the God they were created for. Lord, each and every one of us were designed by you to be filled with your spirit and to reveal and, and, and disperse and, and reflect it, reflecting your glory throughout the earth. God, I'm asking, Lord, even as we partake of these sacraments this morning, that there would be a restoration of calling, that there would be a reignition, an awakening of our destiny. Lord, not just to know about you from afar, but to be intimately known by you, to walk with you, to engage with you, not just one day a week, but every waking moment. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.